Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and the Greek Super League. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambros Sirmos, Ari Burubasis, and our special guest for today, Luis Pineda. How are you doing? How are you doing, guys? Uh, I am so excited that you're here to join us today. I've actually, I've been going nuts all day just waiting for this. So many questions. We have a lot uh, we want to get through for sure. Mr. Luis, uh, can you give us a little bit of a background about, you know, about yourself and the organization, the uh, Tribunio Picante, uh, the sports magazine? Yeah, certainly. Uh, we are uh, um, all news. You know, we, we, we also have podcasts, you know, several podcasts, you know, specifically for the Peruvian League, international players, uh, the Peruvian national team. We cover, we cover it all. We cover basketball, NBA, even motorsports, Formula One and things like that. We're one of those uh, news outlets that likes to be a little bit think outside the box, very diverse. Um, and we've been in, the, in business for over four years now. And obviously, they gave me the opportunity to be their uh, correspondent in the United States. I actually reside in uh, Orlando, Florida right now. Uh, well, I lived in Orlando, Florida. Right now, I moved to Tampa. But, you know, I like to say I'm in Orlando, Florida because, you know, that's where I grew up. And, you know, I'm an Orlando City fan at heart. You know, I, grew, I saw the team from the ground up. So, anyways, um, Point being is, uh, I'm excited to be part of this uh, great organization. Uh, I'm obviously ready to answer any questions you guys may have about um, Peruvian football, Peruvian, you know, Peruvian fans, Peruvian culture, um, Trauco, whatever you guys want to talk about, I'm ready. Of course, and it definitely seems like the, you know, your Peruvian fans, they're just like Greeks. We love to know what our players are doing, where they're going, how they're doing abroad. So you provide a lot of insight to them for the, those players, whether they're in the MLS, you know, a little bit abroad. Uh, I'm assuming you cover a little bit of the Peruvian national team as well. Uh, yeah, def so yeah, definitely. You know, I, I definitely know a lot the ins and outs of, of the Peruvian national team. Um, obviously, after 36 years, we just obviously reached a World Cup qualifying spot um, on the last World Cup. Um, with, I don't know if you guys know the ins and outs of that. Um, you know, we got three points that were awarded to us because of Chile. Um, mistakenly, um, actually Bolivia played against Chile and then they mistakenly uh, added a player on, you know, uh, a Bolivian player that wasn't designated to play essentially. He had uh, two yellow cards. So he was supposed to be suspended and not to play against Chile. So I guess Peru, the Peru, I mean, the, you know, the Peruvian Federation, Soccer Federation, they, uh, uh, they said, hey, this is against the rules. And then we got three points. Uh, they awarded us the win against Bolivia. We lost that game, actually, uh, on the field. But because they used a non-designated, uh, you know, a player that was, you know, he was not eligible to play at all, but he played the game. Essentially, we got the three points. And because of that, and because obviously then the team took a huge football, um, it started winning every single game after that. Essentially, uh, we went on a winning streak. We, we beat um, Ecuador in uh, Quito after, I think it's the second, the first time ever that we beat Ecuador in Quito, which is a high altitude. And uh, they have raving fans and there's like a, kind of like a rivalry in a way. And then obviously eventually uh, Peru um, tied against Colombia and both of them qualified, uh, obviously eliminating Chile, which is our arch rival kind of in the region. And uh, Peru went to the World Cup after 36 years, you know? That's fantastic. So now that we're kind of getting into it, so uh, Trauco first appeared on the national team for Peru back in 2016, correct? That's right. And uh, uh, funny enough, I remember the, I actually remember the PKs, the penalty kicks uh, from that time. And mm -hmm. when I was watching it, uh, there was, there was uh, the penalty kicks. I saw him, he was the one that actually missed it. And I almost completely forgot about it from when I saw. That was like one of, one of his first scenarios when he, when he featured and when they took the penalty kicks against Colombia. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, uh, but he was young at the time, 2016. He would have, he would have been, uh, he would have been just 20, 21, 22 years old at the time. But that, I believe that was, that was him. That was the first, that was the first campaign where he took the field for Peru. Yeah, definitely. That, that Copa America of 2015 was detrimental for Peru to get good as a team in, in general. Oh, really? um, so what happened was, um, just like Chile, just like Brazil, you know, they're big markets when it comes to soccer. So when their players party too much, you, you know, the press uh, hides it. You know, they, they know what to do. Uh, Peru is a little bit different. Uh, Peru, we, uh, we sometimes, uh, we expect the player, you know, to not do anything ever. So what happened was uh, there was a really big scandal uh, we went into a losing streak. There was, I think, some rumors of partying going on, and Gareca felt forced to essentially, uh, on that Copa America, he had to get rid of what they used to call the Fantastic Four of, of Peru, which was Vargas, uh, Juan Manuel Vargas, who at that, at that time he played in Betis. Um, uh, Claudio Pizarro, which the legendary player uh, from Bundesliga, um, Jefferson Farfan, and uh, Andre Carrillo, you know, um, amongst others. So within them, sanction, pretty much telling these players, you guys can come back to the national team until you guys prove us that you guys are, uh, met, you know, being a team, you know, being being a national team, essentially. Uh, Gareca felt forced to try out players from the local league, the, 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 the Liga Uno, which is uh, the Peruvian National League, you know, the, the first division league. And uh, Trauco at that time, he was in Universitario, uh, which is the second biggest club in Peru. Uh, and it's kind of like a River Plate in a way, uh, in, in, you know. Um, and he was, you know, doing really good. I mean, one thing about Trauco is when he gets in rhythm, he's able to perform very well. His passes are very accurate. Um, I think when he played in Flamengo, he g gave a lot of assists to Guerrero. Uh, he played around 38, 39 games. He did like maybe 15 assists. But when it comes to just guarding that area of the field, he definitely was a um, uh, a cornerstone uh, for Universitario. He he did his job very well. So Gareca kind of being a visionary and kind of thinking outside the box. Uh, his previous experience in Belisarfield, he actually in Belisarfield he had to play with people from the youth team. You know, uh, Belis is the type of team in Argentina that you play in the youth, you make the first team, and then you're sold to another team, either a bigger Argentinian team, or you're sold to the United States, or you're sold to Europe. So Gareca, every year he was in Vélez, he had to reinvent the wheel, every year almost. So he kind of, in a way, did the same thing in Peru. At tw in 2015, he's like, okay, I'm getting rid of all these people. They're caliber players, they are world-class players, but th they are not meshing well together. We have to find sync. We have to ha have everybody work together. So Trauco came along. He didn't also call Trauco from that team. He called Edison Flores, who now plays in the DC United. He called in also Andy Polo, who plays in Portland Timbers. He called uh, uh, Jordi Reina. Uh, at that time, Jordi Reina, which now plays in Vancouver Whitecaps, and he used to play in RB Salzburg um, at some point. And then he also did um, RB Leipzig for a little bit. Um, he Who is, actually, uh, I don't mean to cut no, you sorry, off. Sorry, I apologize. No, no problem. But for our listeners and for our fellow hosts, we are just seeing massive parallels between the Greek national team right now. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. Greece went through a terrible section after the World Cup um, in 2014, where we just lost an old guard in Katsuranis, Karagunis, and the team fell off. There was rumors of partying, et cetera, et cetera. And that has been ongoing now for f three, four years now, until we wow. had our most recent coach come in. And he told the, the old guard to go. Costas Manulas is gone. 
Socrates Papastatopoulos is gone. Papastatopoulos, yeah. And and we've brought in a ton of young Greeks from abroad in Greece. And so I just wanted to make the connection, you know, because we're seeing parallels as you're saying that. It's like, yeah, oh my that's, God. That's, you know? that's, pretty, that's pretty great to hear, you know. Uh, one thing I do will have to say, though, you guys have the infrastructure in the difference of Peru. Peru, unfortunately, we have the players. We have probably the technical ability in the region. You know, a lot of people say a lot of other, you know, if you talk to a Chilean, uh, um, you know, reporter or a Brazilian reporter, they'll tell you, you know, Peru sometimes plays like Brazil, but with a, you know, with a handbrake on, you know, um, or, or, you know, with a mental handbrake, you know, um, and, and, you know, we, we are always uh, playing really well with the ball, but we have, and the reason is it's infrastructure is uh, not having the, you know, Olympiacos has a basketball team, volleyball team, you know, they are, you know, a lot of the teams there have their own stadiums. And unfortunately, our league um, has not really had the relevance uh, since maybe 2004 since maybe Cienciano, which is the team from Cusco, won the, the what we call the Sudamericana Cup, which is kind of like a Europa League for, for, for Europe, you know? And, uh, but it, when you go there, you know, the, the parallels are that you guys may have the infrastructure. You guys, if you guys find the right people and the right players, which you guys have the talent, you guys already have the infrastructure to back you up. We, unfortunately, don't, and, and that's a reality. You know, we're working towards that, for sure, uh, but obviously baby steps. Now, Gareca, just to kind of go back, Gareca in 2015 in that Copa America tried out a lot of players, and a lot of those players became the core of what became the 2018 um, squad that qualified at the World Cup. Um, so that's why a lot of people in Peru, Gareca is very revered. Uh, Gareca was able to unify that team. That's how Guerrero became the cornerstone of that team. Guerrero, um, you know, he went to his own stint of issues, you know. Um, he didn't want to be in the shadow of Pizarro and Bayern. Uh, decided to go to Hamburg. In Hamburg, he had a couple of great seasons and then inconsistencies, getting injured. He got into a fight with a fan, you know, and that's exactly what, yeah, he got into, he threw a bottle to a fan. Oh, man. And uh, Hamburg suspended him. And at that point, he, the next transfer window came up, and he's like, I need to get out of here. I, I'm, I'm tired of eating sausages. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tired of, 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 of not speaking my language. So what did he do? He went to Brazil. He went to Corinthians. He, he, and he, became famous there you know he became a star there you know he won the world cup um club world cup against chelsea he scored the winning goal and david luis obviously always never covers the ball on a corner <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, guerrero, know that well. yeah guerrero guerrero being a little bit more of a savvy guy he scored the winning goal but you know that 2015 World Cup was detrimental. And that's when Trauco essentially became known. Um, he, he had a, such a great performance. And not in the, in the, in the, in the, he's not a player that's going to wow you with his goals. Yes, the goals he makes are amazing because he has that quality. But he, he's not a goal scorer, if you know what I'm trying to say. He's, he's more of a playmaker. Yeah. And, um, it seems ever since he's just been an absolute necessity in the national team for Peru. He's played, I think, every minute of the World Cup and Copa America, in mm -hmm. which Peru had a, a pretty nice run to the final, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So it seems he's yeah. he's really solidified himself and made himself really necessary for the team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's definitely in the national team. He has no replacement. And when I say he has no replacement, he truly has no replacement. Trau uh, Gareca puts him because Trauco could play also as a number six. I know a lot of people don't know that, but Trauco actually started before Universitario. He was a number ten. He mm. played uh, he played the ten position uh, in Union Comercio, which is like a lower tier um, team, kind of middle of the pack here and there. They're from uh, Moyobamba, which is uh, 
an air is in the jungle of Peru. And so by the Amazon. So he played number 10 there. Then he was tried as a number six when he got to Universitario, but then eventually there they switched him to play um, uh, defensive, uh, you know, defensive winger at that time. And he kind of did the job there the best. You know, he was most, more consistent in that position. And that's where he stayed. That's why, you know, he kind of listened to the advice of Gareca and the, his, his coach at the time in Universitario told him, hey, I think you maybe should stay in this position rather than be switching around. Uh, you know, and so that's what he did. And yes, he has, he, I think his only replacement would be uh, right now, um, there is a player that plays for Atletico Mineiro. His name is uh, Antonio Lecaros. He's uh, not, not a lot of people know him, but he actually came from the youth team of um, Cusco FC, which is the team, one of the teams from Cusco. It has a lot of financial back. I call them the LAFC of Cusco. They have <laughs> the same color jersey. And... Uh, he came out of that team and was signed to Atletico Mineiro a youth squad, and then he is now in the first team. Um, and he plays the same position as Trauco. He's, I think, uh, 21 years old, 22 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Gareca hasn't called him up yet. So, but a lot of people think that on the next Copa America that's coming up, more than likely he will be called up just kind of yeah. to help out Trauco. Also, there's another play called Corso, Aldo Corso, and he could play Trauco's position, but he's definitely more defensive. He's definitely not going to move out of that area. He's going to stay there. He's not going to attack like maybe Trauco does. Trauco attacks. He's more like a Marcelo. He likes to go mm -hmm. up and mm -hmm. run with, with, the, with the midfielders and maybe assist or, or grab a rebound here and there. Uh, uh, he he kind of has that speed to go back and forth and get the ball. Uh, Corso is more static. He just stays there. And he's a very good defensive player, but I don't really see him as a replacement. So Trauco, essentially, yeah, it is very needed. He's very needed in the team. Of course. Uh, I actually would like to speak to some of his, his abilities at left back. So from a top-down uh, top look at him, uh, especially early on when he was playing for St. Etienne this past season, there were some things that were very, I saw that, that I liked. Uh, you know, he's averaging close to 70 touches per game. For Olympiacos, this is very important because our fullbacks, both left back and right back, they have the most touches on our team. They get the ball forward. So much of our offensive production is through them. So when we see, when we see that we're heavily linked with Trauco and our, you know, the listeners, other Olympiacos fans, we're thinking, you know, how could he fit in? Can he take up the mantle of the player that uh, was there before him? He is going to be the, the replacement for uh, Costas Simicas. Uh, as you may know, he was just Liverpool. sold to Liverpool, 16.5 million, yeah. with add-ons, could get up to 20 million. So Trauco, we're looking, he, you know, we're looking for a player that, can, that has that ability to get forward. And, you know, the, to me, it's, it's good to see, you know, uh, I saw that he has dribbling skill, which is important. Uh, he is touching the ball a lot. Uh, now, I would like to know, you know, from you speaking to what he does, what, what are his assets when he has the ball at his feet? Does he like, he makes overlapping runs, his crosses. Uh, how's, he, how's he done with this, uh, with Saint Etienne? And how has he done this with Peru? He's very calculating. Uh, he he has a way. He has a lot of vision. Uh, and um, if you have, if you play, uh, if you have a a number nine striker, kind of like a Guerrero or like Slatan, a tall guy like Duvan Zapata or like even um, you know um, uh, I remember was that Greek player? Uh, Mitroglou. Mitroglou, yeah. yeah. You know, some of those guys that just hold the ball and you, 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 they're like kind of like a pivot in basketball. You know, they're like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like, you know, he actually, his, his uh, crosses are phenomenal. He can cross the ball perfectly and just land the ball on the feet of the player. Uh, but the thing with Trauco is he needs trust. So he needs the... 
he needs to find that, um, make himself comfortable within the team. And that's the thing what really affected him in San Etienne was that in the beginning, he did really good. He even scored a couple of goals, I think, uh, when he first arrived. But then he kind of lost, lost his way, and I guess he took a backseat. In, you know, in, in my opinion, I think he definitely can rebound in Olympiacos because if you guys emphasize, you know, playing on the wing, you know, um, the crosses, you know, he's a little bit more of like a creative um, defensive player. He, he's a defensive player that, has, that could give you a pass like a 10, you know, in, in a way. And so that's what kind of Gareca does. You know, Gareca uh, and also, you know, Olympiacos, hopefully, if he, if he does get the call up for Olympiacos, I think you guys definitely be able to use them the right way. Maybe the best way that not even San Etienne has ever done. I think it's really cool uh, learning about sort of the way he came up in a more attacking role. Um, yes. that's, that's a really cool insight. And it's interesting as well because we talked, I think, a little bit about uh, how Portuguese managers, including Olympiacos manager Pedro Martins, are a big fan of using players that can fit in at multiple positions. Of course, uh, Trauco has featured as a more traditional left back with Peru. Saint-Étienne, from what I've seen, often like to play uh, more of a three-at-the-back type formation with Trauco as sort of the wing-back going forward, taking advantage of his attacking. And it would certainly be interesting to see if, if he can fit in as a six, like you said as well. That would be really cool. Yeah, there's been times that, you know, he's been used as a six uh, on, you know, Gareca has put him as a six before on friendly games. Um, yeah. Even uh, when he played in Flamengo, there were times in which I think Flamengo was playing against... Uh, it was over Brasileirao against Palmeiras, I think. It was maybe a year or two ago. And Guerrero, he, he actually did an assist to Guerrero. Guerrero scored. And they put him in a six. <laughs> they put him as a six because his passes are so accurate. That's the thing is, when he passes the ball, he, he has that ability of assisting the ball very well. And, um, you know, they put him as a six, you know, and he could play those positions. And I think that's just, like, lovely to hear as an Olympiacos fan as how we play so many times is we have Matthew Valbuena down on the right wing and we'll have Yorgos Masoras making a run and there'll be a cross-field ball to Masoras and there'll be link-up play between the left-back, who is Chimigas, of course, and Masuras, and that would lead to so many of our goals. Is that mm -hmm. left-back coming in and whipping it across to El Arabi or a run from the midfield? So it sounds like a perfect fit almost for that. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, when I heard that Olympiacos was interested in Trauco, I thought this is the right opportunity for him. I mean, there's been other Peruvian players that have been in Greece, in Greece, in Greece before. And, you know, um, Percy Olivares used to play in the 90s for Sporting Cristal. And then he went to Pauk Salonica, uh, played uh, for three, three seasons, I think, three or four. So it's, it wasn't like a short sting. It was uh, pretty long. And uh, then after that, he went to Spain, to the second division of Spain, a third division of Spain, and then he went back to Peru eventually and retired. But uh, we, you know, the Peruvian player thinks of the Greek league as a, as a kind of like a way of getting into Europe, making a name for yourself, and then eventually if something else comes along, eventually, you know, they'll be able to get into like a top five, top six um, team in, in Europe, hopefully, you know, um, and, you know, and, but Olympiacos is that big of a club that, and especially the way Olympiacos is playing now, like you guys mentioned, uh, it, it seems like a perfect fit for him. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, Olympiacos is actually known for whether a lot of our fans want to face that fact or not. Of course, we're biased. We think Olympiacos is the best club in the world. But realistically, Olympiacos has been, especially in the last 10 years, a kind of second chance saloon almost where players come uh, maybe that were a little bit out of sorts that didn't do as well at their maiden clubs. Uh, who comes to mind is Kevin Miralas. He was actually also a oh, same player. And Miralas was, he didn't do much for them. He came to Olivia Cross and he became a star. He was a superstar, uh, did amazing, leading scorer 
at points and then eventually moved on to the Toffees, to Everton. So he was, uh, he was a great player and kind of the, we have a, the first thing I thought of with St. Etienne, we have a good experience with them. Uh, so I, I think that Draco could be a good fit. Now, the next question I had for you, I wanted to speak more about his defensive capabilities, your insights on that. Uh, additionally, with his mentality, uh, you know, uh, as we saw in the beginning of the season, not just with his touches, but defensively, lots of pressures, leading, leading St. Etienne in pressures in terms of the ball. The, the, you know, there was a, now, of course, in terms of uh, dealing with the dribble, uh, players coming to dribble him, he had almost like a 50% success rate in defending against the dribble. If you could speak to that, as well as his mentality when it comes to form and, and uh, you know, when he's playing with the team and how he recovers from form dips. Um, he is the type of player that he, he would do anything to stop that ball. Um, he's very quick. He has, uses a lot of uh, sprints, a change of pace sometimes. You know, that's why he's able to guard that ball very well. Uh, one thing I would have to say, though, he has six yellow cards. Uh, you know, so he needs to, to kind of, in a way, know how, how to go about it, you know. Um, you know, sometimes you can, you, can, you can win that by running a little bit further and guarding that ball a little bit uh, without just going for the kill, you know. Um, I think that's, I would say, that's the only weak point sometimes. Uh, he gets a little bit uh, hyped up so much to just get, get the job done that he just causes either a free kick here or, you know, a missed opportunity for a counterattack. You know, he needs to kind of, I think when he played Flamengo, he did the best when it came to, to that, in, in, in my opinion. I think uh, he was able to um, um, learn. And I think the coach there uh, told him, you know, slow down a little bit, calm down, you know, um, don't, don't make a lot of yellow cards. Um, I think he had a couple of red cards here and there, but then after that, he set him straight. I think that'll be the only thing I'll be able to kind of uh, uh, um, observe about him. But when it comes to guarding that ball, the ability of guarding it and re recuperating to, to counterattack, he definitely can do that very well. He's done it in Peru many times. That's wonderful to hear. I know Greeks, of course, we love to have a player that has that intensity to him. We want to see that. Uh, now, of course, you know, whether he's kind of being overeager trying to steal the ball, I trust our coach Pedro Martins to be able to kind of make him adjust. It seems like, you know, Pedro Martins is that type of coach where he can get that out of a player. He can shift that, get that patience. Uh, Tsimikas was similar before he really won that starting role. A lot of people forget that before Tsimikas had this breakout year, Last year, he actually lost the starting spot to a player that will be returning from injury this year and who would eventually be competing for that spot with Trauco. His name is Leonardo Cutris, and he is also a very similar offensive-minded player, and he won that starting spot last season. Simikas had some similar fumbles, you know, misstepping maybe on the defensive end with the ball here and there. And for Tsimikas to come out and make this wonderful turnaround this year, stellar year, it kind of sounds like Draco's in that position where he's this, uh, you know, diamond in the rough almost that maybe Pedro Martins can turn into an absolute gem. Yeah, definitely. He has never had that particular trust. I think the closest thing he's gotten to full, full trust, and I think it's in part of playing with Guerrero, he's been in Flamengo. Um, and also before that in Universitario, you know, um, in, San, in San Etienne at first, I think the system didn't really work as well for him. Uh, and so because of that, because he's a very um, black and white player, you know, he, he's a, when you tell him to do something, he'll go do it. You know, he, he tries to, he's very disciplined. Uh, so he definitely listens. So if he knows kind of in a way he's not adapting very well, he kind of gets demotivated and he needs that motivation from, you know, not only, you know, the team itself and the front office and the administrative staff and, and in a way he needs that reinforcement uh, that he's doing a, a good job in order to perform. Yeah. And I, I think uh, Trauco would find that environment at Olympiacos. We have a lot of, 
Spanish-speaking players, Portuguese players. We also have Rafinha, who's coming in at right yeah. back, who Trauco mm-hmm. spent some time with at Flamengo. So I think there will be players there to support him as well as our coach, Pedro Martins. Yeah, definitely. You know, that kid that you guys were talking about, Leonardo Cutris, you know, um, he, he was loaned to Mallorca, right? And yeah. he played with uh, my favorite player right now, Takefusakuo, which I can't believe Barcelona let go. I mean, you have to talk about administration. Talk about <laughs> letting uh, Cucurella go, letting Cubo go, um, just like nothing. It's, you know, against in, in Real Madrid, pick him up, which is even worse. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's crazy. Now, Trauco, in terms of competition and with the fans, Greek fans are kind of known to be a little bit unforgiving in certain aspects. Sometimes you can ha- you could be an amazing player, you could be a star player, have a bad game, they'll boo you. You know, uh, is he is he the type of player that can kind of take that, kind of just move on, kind of ignore it, or is that something that will get to him? Uh, you know, as a player. Well, I mean. He comes from playing in Universitario, and Universitario's, um, uh, you know, fans are like kind of like that, you know. Um, he comes from that background of being booed, and you know, and uh, sometimes a little bit, a little bit, teeny bit over aggressive sometimes with other with other clubs and other, uh, you know, ultras of other factions, um, different players and things like that, but. He is a type of player that minds his own, you know, he just minds his own, you know, he, he, like in, in that, I mean, I've seen videos of the Peruvian national team and how he is with his fellow um, playmates and, 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 and fellow countrymen and everything. And he's great. He laughs. But when it comes to fans, he always signs autographs. He's always, you know, trying to build that rapport with them, but in a very respectful way. If you disrespect him, he definitely won't listen. He will just not talk to you. You know, he's the type of player that would maybe refuse to do interviews. Um, you know, he maybe say, "Hey, you talk, I'll walk away." You know, uh, you know, type of thing. He's done that before, um, but I don't really see that being the motivating factor for him. I think that that he can maybe brush it off a little bit. Uh, he's been, like I said, in two major, uh, in my opinion, big, uh, like Flamengo, Victor Sida, you know, all the, all the people from Flamengo's, uh, you know, ultra squad and everything, all the ultras there. And then the ultras from Universitario, which they're very rowdy also, probably the rowdiest in, in Peru, you know, so I, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be good. That, that's so great to hear because, um, as my fellow hosts know, we've had players who come to Greece and they look good coming from Holland or Belgium. And then they step foot in a hot derby against Panathinaikos, Ike or Pauk. And you just don't know that player. You're like, what, what has happened to that player? And we can see easy goals or they just, they're too scared to make the killer ball. So having a player come from an atmosphere like that just means so much because they know what it's like. They know when the crowd's yelling down at them. And it's nice to have for sure. I mean, let me tell you, he's played in the highest heat, uh, humidity in the region. He's playing the jungle of Peru. He's played in a, in a, in a stadium that maybe bathrooms do not work. You know, he's played in a different. You know, he's playing at high altitude. You know, he's played against the crowd against him. You know, uh, against the team. You know, um, uh, you know when. When Universitario plays against Alianza Lima, it's like a Boca River uh, atmosphere. It's, uh, you know, even outside the stadium, sometimes it may get a little aggressive here and there. Um, you know, rocks are thrown to buses and, and you know, it just gets very passionate. Uh, he's used to that kind of environment. Um, I think, in, in my opinion, I think he might even like it in a way a little bit because it will make, it will remind him of, his best days, you know, uh, maybe the times that he had a, a little, but you know, he had, he was making obviously less more money than now, but, um, when he was definitely felt the most comfortable and, and that's, the, and that's the thing with him, you know, I think what it could truly affect his stamina and his character in any team 
would be not having the trust of the coach or not having the trust of any of his peers, I think that would definitely affect them more than the atmosphere outside the field. Kind of sounds like he's made for some of these derbies with our, our rivals, Bauch, Panathinaikos, Ike. I think it kind of sounds like he's, uh, he's already been in the atmosphere. He could deal with that very well. Now, I wanted to ask you about his, what's his locker room attitude like on the field? Is he vocal? Is he the type of player that's going to be vocal kind of, you know, when he's comfortable with the team, obviously, you know, in that leadership role? Or is he going to be kind of the soldier doing what he's doing? You can count on him to do his job. He's, he's going to be that soldier that you tell him to go battle with you. And he, I mean, I don't see him as a captain, although it could surprise me, you know, I, I've seen it all, you know. Um, Edison Flores, for example, he plays in DC United now. He was never the captain type, but he did took a leadership role when then, you know, after the 2015 uh, Copa America in Peru, you know. Um, same with Pedro Gallese. Um, Gallese, he, you know, wasn't the captain type. So uh, Trauco, he's more of a role player. Uh, he definitely talks a lot on the field. Um, obviously, there's a language barrier, but if he be able to speak Portuguese, he be able to speak Spanish, you know, um, but he, it's, you can see him try to, to make it work, you know. He's not very quiet or reserved on the field. I've seen him. He gets very vocal when he gets really into it. But I don't really see him as if, for example, one of your, you know, let's say Balbuena says, hey, man, I'm taking this free kick. He's going to just let Balbuena take the free kick. I don't mm -hmm. see him being like, no, 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 this is perfect for me. I'll take it. Unless the coach tells Balbuena, hey, take a step. He has to go take it. Then he'll take it. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's players like that in Peru. For example, Farfan is like that. Cueva is like that too. Cristian Cueva. Um, he... You know, the reason why he missed the penalty against Denmark was because Farfan was going to actually take that penalty. And he took the ball away from Farfan. Yeah. He, he's oh, like, wow. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, you know. And uh, look what happened. Okay. <laughs> now, is, is Trauco a free kick specialist? Is that, one of, is that something in his toolkit? Yes. In Universitario, he made goals from free kick. Uh, in Flamengo, he threw some free kicks also. Some... Uh, you know, uh, long-range free kicks because he has that um, skill when it comes to, you know, um, throwing those curved balls. And when it's a play that, he, you know, there's going to be a, a, a long-distance curved ball going to a striker, then they'll use them for that. And direct shots, I've seen him maybe in Universitario more than anything and in Flamengo, I think, a couple of times. But in San Etienne... I have not seen him taking a free kick, uh, I think. Now, um, I, know, I know he's left-footed, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, I was looking, I saw that 93% of his activity is with his left foot. So when you see him, because uh, we know he kind of likes to dribble out of the back, he has, for Saint Etienne, he covers the most distance on the dribble. He, love, he seems like he loves to get forward with the ball. And, and take the ball forward on the dribble. Is he the type of left back, kind of like Tsimikas, that will get forward with the ball, kind of take it to the touchdown line and make the cross in? Or is he comfortable getting there, kind of cutting inwards and going to goal? I mean, it just depends on the play. I, I do see him more of a Marcelo. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think the comparison to Marcelo, he's a poor man's Marcelo, as they, as they say, you know. He, he uh, can definitely... That left wing is his area. Uh, he will go up and down um, as much as he can. Uh, and he definitely will be the person who will throw that pass. Um, the only way I see him cutting through the middle is if there is a play between your six and your 10 and there is like a tiki-taka moment. Mm -hmm. He can definitely adapt to that because he did that a lot. He does that a lot in Peru. He complements very well with Flores he, because they've played so many years together. Uh, he complements so very well with Tapia, which is in um, RC Celta de Vigo ahora. 
uh, now, sorry, I just speak in Spanish. And, and, then, and then also he compliments, so he, he compliments very well with Cueva also. So when there's those times in which it needs to be a, a play that it's a counterattack and you have you know, him passing the ball to the six and then the six maybe passing the ball to him on the wing, you know, he has the ability of, of running that wing so well to get the ball and cross it, you know. Um, also, he has the, the, the skill to play uh, with them to potentially pass it to a striker, you know, either him or the pass he does to the person that's going to pass it to the striker in the middle. Uh, but cutting, cutting through the middle, I probably don't see him very often. I think Carrillo will probably do that more than him because uh, he's more attacking. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're, you're saying something that what we're used to, you know, Simicas was never really the type of player that would look to cut in the middle, but getting that, you know, getting a player that's not afraid to get to the touchline and make that cross uh, would be, you know, it's very important to have a replacement that's going to do what Simicas did before we lost him. Yeah. And I, I guess it would be helpful for our listeners too to just discuss the current transfer situation and give an update of what they're saying in Peru, what they're saying in Greece about this situation, I guess. The latest news I've read in Greece is there's been one offer, I think it was around a million euros, and Saint Etienne turned that down. And Olympiacos came back, I think, for right around, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, guys, <laughs> 1.6 million, and that was turned down. And just today, Olympiacos signed former player Jose Jolebas, who also plays left back. But that shouldn't discourage people in Peru as Jose is is not going to play very often and he's not going to be the starting left back as someone like Trauco. So the Greek press has said very clearly, Olympiakos wants Trauco and they're looking to come back in for a third time. And so it, the deal is close to happening is what I would say. Uh, Ari, if you have something else to say about well, Greek media well, rumors. I've heard, uh, when was this? I think around 4th of July, there was a rumor that that's when the Olympiacos rumors started coming and brewing here in Peru uh, a little bit with a more steam, but also Pau Salonica also I heard. Uh, they were both two teams interested in him. Now, obviously, name recognition, you know, if you play, you know, you see both of those teams all the time. But Olympiacos, you kind of, you know, they're the most known. So, um, obviously, as a player, uh, if he's playing in the Greek league, he wants to play one of the top teams. And Olympiacos definitely is definitely the, I think, the ideal place for him. I also then heard, um, you know, when, when was this? He has uh, offers in Mexico also. You know, there's a lot of Mexican, uh, the, the Mexican league is bringing a lot of Peruvian players. Uh, this was also around the same time as the Olympiacos stuff brewed a little bit more. Uh, you know, they were talking about uh, Tigres, they were talking about of um, Pumas, um, you know, um, they also said something about America de Mexico, but I mean, I think Trauco wants to stay in Europe because there's a lot of players now, and that's the thing, you know, in a way, I'm going to tie it in with this, seven, seven players of the national, the Peruvian national team are in the MLS. You know, um, four, I actually did a little bit of a, of a research. Uh, four of them are in um, Brazil and uh, two are in the first division of, uh, in La Liga. Um, I think one is uh, um, Tapia, which hasn't even played yet for Celta, you know. And then there's two in, uh, you know, Erevedice um, and three in Mexico. You know, and so that North American region is calling a lot of Peruvian players. The market's been very good to them. They're offering them quality of life for their families, the, the money, all of that. Now, um, I think Trauco wants to go against the, against the tide here because there's just, the market is getting a little bit saturated. So I think he definitely wants to stay in Europe. I mean, he's expressed that he would rather stay in Europe than going to Mexico, for example. But those are the only few things I've heard from him. Um, I, I hope that he definitely 
decides for Olympiacos. I think it, it, it's, it's the most, it's, it's the best offer on the table. Um, and I think he is a type of player that from every player in the Peruvian national team, he emphasizes, um, he, he emphasizes more of feeling comfortable in the team. If he's, if he's going to be able to be a playmaker, that will motivate him more than money in a way. Um, I never, I don't see him, for example, in the MLS uh, because the MLS, yes, is an up, um, upcoming league. American soccer is definitely growing, but I don't really see Trauco there. I see Trauco staying in Europe for sure. Well, let me ask you, would the, you know, you as a Peruvian fan and of course other Peruvian national team fans, what would they prefer to see? Would they prefer to see Trauco come to North America, play in the MLS, play in Mexico play in Brazil or would they prefer him to stay in Europe if he can? We prefer 120% for him to stay in Europe but also this is the thing you know and this is a, and again I'm going to say this I, I'm very honest in regards to this you know I'm very objective when it comes to the Peruvian national team. I love my country you know I, 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 I love my national team uh, obviously I was very happy to see them go to the World Cup for 36 years. I thought I was never going to see that time you know, I thought my daughter maybe was going to see the time, uh, but not me. Uh, but um, a lot of our players are not in the top 10 leagues of Europe. And that is a, that is a fact. Venezuela, which has not qualified for the World Cup, all their players are playing in Spain, in, in, in England, in, in the championship. They're playing in Greece. They're playing everywhere. And they're staying there, you know. They're not just coming back to Venezuela. They're staying in those countries. Uh, same with Chile, you know. A lot of people say, hey, you know, Chile didn't qual qualify to the World Cup. But, you know, they have players in, in, in different leagues. Now, I am afraid that if Peru, if there's not a lot of players going to Europe or maybe going to big teams in, in the Americas, like a Boca Juniors or like a River Plate or like a Flamengo, you know, or Santos, w what's going to happen is we're going to become like Paraguay, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be, this generation was great, uh, they made it to the World Cup over 36 years, and then when's the next time we're going to go, you know, um, I think that's one thing that the Peruvian media, it's not saying very clearly to these players, and they're not really uh, emphasizing youth, uh, to to his largest extent you know uh, and i guess these players like for example the example of carrillo you know great player uh, the, um, before the world cup did a was loaned to watford did amazing there um, after the world cup he had a great world cup um, fantastic game against france even though peru lost great game when he comes back watford had the the, the papers hey we want you stay he had offers from Newcastle. He had offers from all these teams. He's like, no, I'm going to Al Hilal because they're offering me all this money. And the players need to emphasize opportunity that's going to help the national team over maybe monetary, uh, monetary relief or, 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 or money. You know, I think Peru... It's not Brazil. It's definitely not Argentina. It's definitely not Uruguay for us to dare to say, yeah, we really don't need players in Europe. You know, we have enough. You know, we're fine. They'll, they'll be fine. No, we do need th that presence in Europe. If we call ourselves a, a, a powerhouse in South America, right? You know, the, 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 you know we, we made it to the World Cup in Russia. We've got to back it up a little bit. And, and I think that um, not having that presence there, uh, it's, it's upsetting. I mean, I, at least for me. I can definitely speak just for me. And a, a lot of Peruvians feel the same way. Uh, not to kind of repeat myself, but it's like deja vu to Greek national team supporters. Like, we have so many players who just stick around in Greece to collect a paycheck or may even go to an easier league that pays them a large sum of money. But we are just hoping our young players, especially one league that we've been paying attention to is the Eredivisie, because it seems like 
of course, that's where Kosas Shimikas went before he got into the Olympiacos team. Right. It seems like our players develop very well there and move on and take the next step. And we're in the same boat. We're just saying, come on, guys, like, we want to see you in the top European leagues. So yeah, another you know, similarity I just saw. Was yeah, it has a lot to do. It has a lot to do also with the infrastructure of, of, of the current administration of the Peruvian Soccer Federation. You know, um, you know, they, they like I said, you know, you know, we qualified at the World Cup. But what are what are the benefits of qualifying now? OK, we made it. We botched it against Denmark. But now putting Guerrero after fighting for him, for batting for him, went to freaking, uh, you know, Switzerland to fight for him because he was innocent against that doping scandal that happened with him. The president did a letter, you know, and, and, and talked to, you know, Infantino got involved. Eventually, Guerrero was absolved. Gareca, what does he do? He doesn't put him on uh, against the game on Denmark. And, and, you know, and that was the game that Peru had to win in order to make it to the second round because obviously France is France. And, and that is just, the, you know, come on, man, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and Australia. So, but Peru did decent in the World Cup. I mean, he sh- they showed definitely some great football. The problem is, okay, the after. What happens after is this has to be very beneficial for the team, for the country, for the league. But what has happened, in my opinion, is everything has become stagnant, has stayed the same. And yeah. we're not going get, to get anywhere if the league stays the same. If the players, um, you know, and, you know, some of the players, yeah, you know, I, I, I love the MLS. I think the MLS is a great league. It's an up-and-coming league. But, you know, having seven players of your national team in the MLS – and the Peruvian fans not knowing nothing about the MLS, maybe saying, hey, I don't care about the MLS. That's when people go retire. But seven of your players play in the MLS, dude. <laughs> seven of them. It's not, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's a high margin. And, and, and so it, it is upsetting. You know, it, you know I, I love the MLS. I think it's a, it's a great league. Um, some of the players that are Peruvian players that are playing the MLS are playing well. So it's great for the Peru national team. It's not just any league. But, for example, having only two players in La Liga, having two players in Holland on the same team, having four players in Brazil and only maybe two be starters, you know, three in Mexico, and then the rest of them is from the local league. It's from the national, the Liga Uno from Alianza Lima, from Universitario, from Sporting Cristal, you know, so uh, it, it makes you think, you know, do, does Peru truly want to, this project to continue and for us to qualify to more World Cups, you know, or is this just a one-time thing after hmm. 36 years? Yeah, and now speaking to that and kind of speaking to your earlier point about players, you know, hopefully migrating more towards Europe, not chasing the money, is Trauco the type of player, you know, let's do a hypothetical. He signs for Libyakos, has a lights-out season Libyakos. He's competing in Champions League, Europa League, what have you. Euro, uh, Olympiacos uh, again qualifies for Champions League the following year. He's getting some looks. Will Trauco be the type of player that's kind of content? He's having success. He'll ride the success out. Or is he going to migrate to the, the next competition, more competitiveness, if it's available. Uh, Trauco is a type of player that if he feels comfortable, he would stay. Uh, He stayed in Flamengo. He had other offers from Brazilian teams, but because he had that connection with Guerrero and the coach that took over said, hey, um, I'm going to go ahead and and have you in my squad. He stayed. He stayed two seasons. um, And he does that type of stuff. You know, I, I don't see him as a player like a Carrillo, for example, you know, with a lot of talent, but having Newcastle's contract, West Ham's contract, Watford contract, he decided to just say, "Hey, Al Hilal, here, here I come." You know, um, he, he, I don't see him as a, that type of player. One thing about Trauco is where he feels comfortable, he's gonna stay. I kind of mimic him as a kind of like a Charles Arangis type. You know, Arangis kind of staying in Leverkusen because he wanted to 
you know, he felt comfortable there. He, he liked the fans. He, you know, he didn't like the, you know, the press being right on him. He could have gone to a better team, uh, maybe in Europe for sure. Uh, but he just decided to just stay there. Um, for a, a couple of more seasons. Now, um, I see Trauco definitely uh, staying if he feels comfortable, for sure. Now, obviously, if Barcelona is knocking on your door and he's like, <laughs> hey, we're going to sign you for three years, we're going to give you the bright wife contract. Do you want it? Obviously, you can judge yeah. that any player in the world if – one of the big clubs comes and says, hey, man, we're going to give you the bright white contract. Here you go. You know? So, but if he feels comfortable, he's definitely going to stay where he's at. No, of course. I don't think anybody would expect him to say no to a, a Barcelona contract. That's why <laughs> I don't think any of them were upset. Well, there were some that were upset. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think the majority of Greeks were upset that Simikas took an offer from arguably the best, one of the best clubs right now in Europe, a, a two-time competitor in the Champions League finals. They won the Champions League. They, they won emphatically the league this year. I don't think anybody can fault him for that. Now, yeah. kind of as we begin to close out here, you've given us a lot of great info about Trauco, things that we didn't even consider. The, him being able to play at the number six, some good insight about his dribbling, his mentality. Uh, thank you so much for all of that. Lambro and Peter, did you have any some closing thoughts, closing questions? Um, I, I just will say, um, I'll echo what Adi said. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And uh, I would also like to give you the opportunity, if there's any social media or anything you'd like to plug uh, while oh. you have the opportunity, maybe oh, yeah, our sure. listeners would be interested. Um, definitely. I'm going to put my Twitter right here. Um, hold on. Um, Oh, wait, that's the, I'm missing a nine. <laughs> <laughs> Technology. All right, here you go. So that's my Twitter right there, at Luis Pineda 999 You can also see, you know, we're on Facebook. If you search for Tribuna Picante, uh, sometimes on Facebook they'll let you have the subtitles. You're more than welcome if, you know, to watch the show. I have um, uh, my particular show in, in, in the program there. It's uh, a Tribuna Picante MLS. Uh, I cover all seven Peruvian players in the MLS, um, the MLS League, the MLS is back tournament. Uh, we talk about the reality of the Peruvian player in the United States. So if you guys are interested in that, you guys are more than welcome. It's every uh, Sunday, uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Peru time and 4 p.m. Eastern time United States. Great. Yeah. Well, I think you've got us all on the hook and interested in, in the course of the Peruvian national team as well. So uh, I certainly really enjoyed learning about the ups and downs that the team has had recently and uh, how Trauco has played into that as well. It seems like there's, there's some potential for things to improve, but as you say, they have to be motivated to, to continue moving forward from the great achievement that was qualifying for the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. And as I mentioned earlier, the parallels between Greece is amazing. So it's, it's really nice to see actually that uh, here in Greece, we don't have we have the similar issues with other countries. You know, it's not just we're incompetent. It's other countries are kind of facing these things. It's tough for the smaller countries. And again, I would just like to say thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great experience, and hearing your input's been great. No, it's it's been my pleasure, guys. If you guys ever need anything from me, if you guys uh, if there's any other um, Peruvian players that are on the the <laughs> scope of uh, the Greek league. You know, I would love, for example, to see a Carrillo play in the Greek League. I would love to see even Farfan maybe choosing uh, to play Greece. Mm. Uh, even Cueva. Cueva. I'm, I'm surprised about that. How the hell you go to, the, to, to Turkey like this, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, if it was Besiktas or if it was, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, what's the other? Galatasaray. Right? Um, or even the, the one where... I forgot the, the, the latest. Uh, uh, Basakshir. Ba Basak, yeah. If it would have yeah. been that one, I would have been like, all right, all, all, all bets are off. But come on, mm -hmm. man. You're going to like the one that just came up. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, even any, any other team in Greece, the Greek league is much better than the Turkish league, in my opinion. You know, uh, 
mi miles and miles better, you know? So um, hopefully uh, Trauco is able to open and bridges for Peruvian players to get to Greece. Uh, I think it will be great. Yeah, yeah for sure. We, uh, thank you again. And of course, thank you to be Tribuna Picante. Uh, you know, we hope, you know, at this point that Trauco can come in. Maybe some Peruvians will follow Greek soccer as well do more to create a bridge between both countries, get some more, you know, exposure for all of us. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, of course, we'd love to have you on again, especially if he does come to kind of gauge his performance if he's here. And if there's other players, we'll definitely have you on again, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Yeah, sure. You know, keep in touch. Um, you know, if there's any other players that I, that I hear from the Peruvian side that are coming to Greece, uh, they are rumored to be coming. I'll definitely, you know, I have Lambros's number. I will be, you know, sending him a WhatsApp. And uh, it's been a pleasure, guys. I've definitely enjoyed this conversation, and um, you guys have all my support always. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Luis. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, guys. That concludes the second episode of Gate 7 International Podcast. Thanks again to Luis for a great interview. We really appreciated his insight on Miguel Trauco and the Peruvian national team as a whole and we'll definitely be rooting for Trauco if he signs for Olympiacos. We'd also like to thank you all for listening. If you've made it this far, we really appreciate it. We've been amazed by the support the podcast has received in the community, and we'd like to shout out the Olympiacos English account for promoting it on Twitter. If you're not following them already, you can do so at, at Olympiacos underscore E-N-G. That's at Olympiacos with a K underscore E-N-G. They're a great source for all things Olympiacos in a way that English speakers can understand. In our next episode, we'll discuss the signing of Jose Jolebas, some of the lone players that will be making their way into the team next season, the impact of Guillerme on the team, and the upcoming Greek Cup final against IG Athens. Until then, thanks so much for your support, and we'll see you soon.